so meditation as we would understand it and uh, general speaking practice of Dhamma is for the mind for calming, steadying clearing the mind, releasing the mind but uh, in terms of the process it's uh, described rather differently <coughs> it's not directly done or immediately done it's done through a process and uh, um, yeah. which we don't really even get in touch with the mind through the chitta uh, until uh, directly until we've uh, cultivated enough uh, uh, clarity and, and focus and um, strength to do so mm-hmm. so it's uh, even, even mindfulness itself is not considered the beginning of that process. It's a process of beginning with a certain degree of, of faith, of interest, of uh, 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 meeting true teachings, listening to teachings, uh, meeting good friends, feeling comfortable, feeling safe, feeling settled, uh, having a quiet place to practice in. You know, these are not uh, insignificant features. And also the process called Yonsil Nisikawa or, or deep or wise attention to um, sieve through uh, the flood of experience to see which particular features are worthy of giving deep focused attention to that will support one's, uh, one's practice. And wisdom is therefore necessary as an ongoing quality. <coughs> Faith is necessary as an ongoing quality. Energy or application is necessary as an ongoing quality. The result of this must be the mind is being collected, gathered together uh, from its um, confused and uh, scattered states into something more palpable where one can directly handle it. So samadhi is necessary, and through this, uh, and we have something we can directly look into. It's not about should or somewhere else, future, past ideas, but it's a definite felt experience that one can then groom and clean and, and review and understand. This is the final result of wisdom. Wisdom is necessary throughout, both the beginning and the end. It takes us through a process of of um, some faith, we hear something that sounds truth, true, it rouses our interest in understanding. We um, find or hear skillful means being presented that also invite us to use our clarity, use our discernment, and with that we have a sense of atapi, uh, eagerness, uh, ardour, uh, and therefore energy comes forth because we see something can be done yeah, so effort itself begins not with just the supreme push but um, the sense of feeling there is an application I can make yeah. I feel enthusiastic I feel I'm willing to do something I want to do something uh, and it, it begins with that that because one has some confidence <coughs> in oneself and in what's being presented one sees something relevant that one can 
yeah, I can get onto that. And uh, therefore, one applies the appropriate energy to specific points. So effort is really, we see something specifically we can do. And and in particular, what needs to be done. So effort can be seen in in basically four means, four modalities, one to uh, withdraw from unskillful states and to maintain that vigilance against adopting unskillful states. to incline towards skillful states and to maintain that inclination to not be distracted in it. Uh, and it's up for us to know what are skillful states and what are unskillful states uh, and how to withdraw. Uh, skillful states are those in which one experiences a quality of something brightening and uh, one feels definitely uh, a sense of brightening effect brightening, clarifying an effect that encourages one's faith makes one feel more confident not just flailing away desperately um, trying to get something done but a sense in which you see uh, yeah I do feel more confident I've got something I specifically can do and it does increase my faith and it does make my energy feel worthwhile my effort feel worthwhile and this could be just, you know, every time we cultivate um, uh, virtue, uh, sense restraint, and yeah, it works. It, I do feel less strung out. I do feel more uh, centered. Every time we can just sustain a meditation position and focus a little bit, and you're finding your particular skillful means that works for you, um, then your effort is worthwhile <clears throat> and it's always it's going to result in the mind settling coming through although as I said we don't begin uh, directly with the mind we bring with that which we begin to sense something is interested something is a quality of feeling inspired interested you, you said something starts to look around hmm, what's going on here it is eager and it applies as an application and primarily the mind in, in, in a meditation practice is held through the body we don't directly enter the mind first we use the body to, to uh, moderate to train to steady this mind because it is so uh, changeable and so evocative and so given to to, to um, shifts and changes and irrational impulses and you know, so it's so easy to stampede. It's like really like a like an untrained animal. <coughs> So you find this as a direct felt experience through the body and this is where in the practices of mindfulness of breathing it begins just with really understanding um, 
uh, a bodily process of breathing in and out uh, as a felt experience that which clears away um, creates a proper <coughs> vessel and container for, for mind then we can then begin to recognize this effective, volatile, uh, reactive mind. And the Buddha said, it's well, using the simile of the elephant and uh, the wild elephant. You have to find the wild elephant and feed it to use a tame elephant. You know, so you set up something that particularly is, is um, uh, you know, you, you begin to steady your, your body, your sense of your body, and that acts as something that's um, uh, relatively calm and steady, and your attitudes, and then you seek the wild elephant. And you, you, then you kind of uh, befriend the wild elephant, and you gradually encourage the wild elephant and begin to soothe it and tame it and calm it and then it becomes available to do work for you. We find, uh, so, taming the wild elephant. Sometimes the mind is likened to a monkey, a wild monkey running through the trees here and there. The Buddha was uh, who was no who was very gifted at words and metaphors says, you know, with the mind it shifts so fast I can't even find a metaphor that adequately describes just how fleeting and volatile and erratic this thing is. I, it just beats me <laughs> to find a word for it. It's just that shiftable. He said, but you know, if it's not trained, it can do you irreparable damage. And if it is trained, it's nothing can do you so much benefit as this. Yeah. So you might be able to think, well, I don't know, mind's a pretty obvious thing to me. Yeah. No, it's not. <laughs> that's, those, that's what you're experiencing, you, know, you call your mind, is actually this, um, your thinking, probably. Yeah. Uh, or the process of, of cogitation. And these are like the, the surface wrappings of something, mm. you know, surface traces, not like the dust on the elephant's back. <laughs> you know, they're related to it, but they they often uh, not really give you a very a very clear picture. So, of what's really there. So with uh, the process of embodiment, you, you, you begin to trim and, tr- and lessen the thought, just experience the sense of presence. So that's one way of, of accessing chitta. What is presence? What is a, the felt presence? You could say it's even the very uh, naked sense of I. How am I? Where am I now? What's happening? The I experience. And we may not even find that reference at what. 
back and you know what? Who is the I behind the thought? Behind the sound? Behind the listening? Where is that? What is that? That's that's chitta. That's what we call mind, or the mind that can be released. Released from what? Released from this unraveling or this rolling on process of I am this, I am that, I wish I was this, I want to be that, when I want to be this, this happened to me. Released from that. All those trailings. So to uh, and the stories and the complexities of all that. So one of the uh, uh, cultivations of deep attention is to uh, take any of those stories or in, in synopsis, particularly ones that repeat themselves as you meditate, you know, uh, mood swings, the trains of thought that become repeated. Self-criticism is a strong one for people. The regrets or the uh, you know what can spin out, and you get down to the one simple word that sums it up: irritation, ill will, fed up, disappointed, sour, whatever it is. Yeah. So you, you trim your thought down to get closer to Richard, closer to mine which is really something more like heart. So, might get to something like sour or flat or hurt. How is that? And can you experience that? And can you use your body, your bodily presence, your sense of groundedness, your breathing out, your sense of uh, earth, of that to just be present with that experience and keep checking the tendency to add more thoughts to it to try to figure it out to analyze it um, to remember the story that goes with it just come down to the, the, the feeling itself feeling itself and be bearing presence with that. This is why this is not so easy. Because uh, this, these, uh, feeling is highly evocative. But the uh, understanding is that through that you not only do you have a way of checking this uh, reactivity around feeling, which is important, you're able to get to the point of it, there's also a sense in which you're training yourself to learn how to meet feeling in a steady way as a feeling and you're beginning to have access to a medium of mind a quality of presence that can do just that it doesn't have to have 
an answer. It doesn't have to have a strategy. It just bears present presence, awareness in the face of experience, in the direct experience, feeling, essentially. And in the feeling is allowed to feel. But when there's no I am, I could, I should, he didn't, they will, they always will going on, feeling is deprived of its food to keep creating more material. The feeling begins to shift and change. And you have a vessel there, the embodied mind that is present, and you sense your awareness, your you're becoming clearer about that. What is there when the feeling, when the thought dissolves? What is there when the um, the mood is allowed to arise and pass? What is there? Hmm? So it's very. Uh, this is another realm. the deep place what is there the mood difficult mood arises it's sensed it's held carefully we feel the presence of the body there the breathing the space the groundedness Uh you stay with it you just Use mindfulness to, to bear that in mind. What's there when there's no more addition, no more need to add anything to it? The effort to re- refrain from acting in pointless ways, unskillful ways. Sustain the quality of mindfulness, skillful states. The effort to, to sustain that patiently. And what's there, what allows that to pass? Into, we feel this, this steadiness, this presence, this sense of spaciousness. You're definitely there. But what isn't there is one of those strands of I am and it's just deconstructed that's the process <coughs> and every time then one's kind of grateful actually in retrospect for some of these difficult experiences uh, Because they, they, they almost push you into resolving them. You know, you get the discomfort and the sense there could be an answer to this. You know, it's uncomfortable. You've got that pushing from behind you. I don't like this, and you've got the being given a, a, an understanding and a means that. You don't, this could be this could be removed or this could pass. So there's the encouragement. You've got the push from behind. You've got the pull from in front. So you undertake, and you undertake the effort 
to sustain steady but embodied awareness in the presence of the feeling. You trim the whole story down to, to the feeling, to the simple one word that expresses it, and then it's very direct. There's no more future in it, there's no more narrative, there's no her and them and the people in the office, they've all gone. Uh, there's just that pulsing sense, that flaring sense. That's, that's yeah, now you're hitting it, now you're touching into to the mind, the chitta. And you've been able to do that through the process of wisdom, attention, and embodiment. What isn't there? I am. Isn't there? The historical person isn't there. The notional person that uh, can we carry around? We refer to, isn't there? And yet, definitely present, probably more powerfully present than normal. Definitely awake, alive, attentive, probably more than you normally are. And the result is a sense of. Clarity and strength that's beyond doubt. Probably more uh, free from doubt than you normally are. <laughs> well, we normally, well, maybe I could, I think I ought to, but perhaps on the other hand, you know, that's the personal realm. I don't quite know what I'd do about this, but it could be this and maybe. I think I'll have a go at the end. Because the personal realm works in terms of these virtual secondary realities which aren't really real at all. They're, they're constructions, notional constructions. So there's a big shift, and the shift is, is to get, it, get it, the whole mental or the, uh, the, the center of one's life realigned instead of the personality with a notional world of self and other and future and past and so forth going on and that's the thing we lead with no, no, that's the thing we work with we're not denying that but what we lead with is Dhamma uh, that's a word for it you know, it means that experience of direct Steadiness, simplicity, earthiness, groundedness, accuracy, presence, awareness, you name it. You know, you can roll the words over it. Yeah. There where the I am stops, where the story stops, but you're present, you're awake, you're not deluded, and you feel alive. Isn't that the best place to be? you lead with that and what you lead through of course is this world of me and you and this and that and future and past and so forth, that's what you've got to work through <clears throat> that's what we call the um, you know, 
the, the acquisitions, the acquired uh, karmic process of uh, yeah, the social world. And you can also look at this as this is, these are, all this social world that I'm in didn't arise just haphazard. Yeah, yeah, somehow one kind of, you know, there's some process that went on that you got into this. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some of it, uh, we could say, was uh, fairly accidental, random. Some of it uh, one chose as best one could, according to the understanding one had. And so this is now a chance to to learn and to reset. And this isn't something we have to do in abstract. Um, the process of resetting and learning can be done in this very embodied state. Mm-hmm. One of the features of, uh, of, of this embodied state, embodied state is that everything that has been significant contact, significant impression, significant feeling that really touched and affected you has been felt in an embodied way. Um, you felt uh, driven, you felt lifted, you felt buoyant, you experienced enthusiasm, something lifted in you, you felt rushed, you felt hurt, you felt shut down, you felt dumped. You know? These were not just ideas, these, these you felt them and they, they had an embodied impact. And it's in this body that you experience that world. Mm. Where you feel tense. Mm. Where you feel suddenly overwhelmed. What does that mean? Mm. It's not just a series of ideas, is it? As an energy rushes and you can't manage it. You feel overwhelmed, or you feel kind of uh, shut down. Something seems to block and harden. And this isn't an idea. Uh, you feel heartbroken. And that's not just an idea. There are definitely somatic effects in that. So it's in this very body that you experience what's called the world, your world, your your deal, your bit that you have to handle, and this is where also it can cease through holding attention, awareness, and a skillful means such as breathing in and out or embodiment in a skillful way to steady and 
open and clear through those impressions. You clear the world from your body. You, sometimes we take our body out of the world. You know, you know, in one way we come out of our home, our, our job, we sit in a retreat center. Yeah, but that doesn't get the world out of your body, does it? <laughs> in fact, it makes it clearer where it really is. <laughs> yeah. The pressure, the frazzling of the nerves, the sense of exhaustion. Not just the idea, is it? It's right there. Yeah. And, okay. You know. Now we can... It's important to recognize some of this is, is through one's uh, intention and some of it is through the intention of others and some of it is random. So it's, it's important to recognize uh, that not everything we experience is because of karma. Some things are because of karma, some things are because of the actions of others and some things are just... Uh, because of the nature of the body, you know, you, you fell over because not because you kicked something in a previous life, because you fell downstairs. <laughs> because you stepped on a rollerblade or something. Not because of some evil you did in a previous life. It's the nature of the body or sickness or accident and so forth. So the Buddha said there are six, I think six different uh, sources of, of, of the feeling that we have. And it's important to recognize that because what can happen is we feel everything I'm experiencing because of me. You know, I am neurotic, I am this way because I am this, that and the other. You know, I must have done something bad, I wasn't feeling so bad. And this understanding of karma actually uh, is not correct for a start and it tends to enhance the self-view rather than lessen it. (laughs) Karma, most usefully we see karma as the choice we make now. That's called karma. The action that we decisively make now. The action towards skillfulness. The action towards lessening or abating or resisting the unskillful so even if the idea of karma when you hold that turns you into despair and gloom that's not skillful that's not a skillful effort (laughs) that's an unskillful effort holding an idea in the wrong way is unskillful because it's where is it going to what's the result of it does it lead to liberation or does it just lead to well, you know, this way it's the way stuck that's not skillful it's also not uh, true what's happening there is that you or your the action of your mind is picking up harmful intention. So if you start using teaching to just blame and berate yourself, that's an unskillful action because it's generating itself and 
with a negative impression. Right? That is an unskillful, violent thing to do. Now, if you, even if you justify it by saying, well, because I'm a stupid person who makes all mistakes, that still, that's just the thought, but the intention is the intention to hurt. And we do this. We do blame and berate ourselves. And it is of no use. Because it is purely negative karma. That is the karma. The, the very intention you hold this time towards yourself is either skillful or unskillful. If it's just causing more pain, more fixity, more gloom, more hurtful impulses and obsession, it is unskillful. Now, even if you use a Buddhist doctrine to support it, <laughs> it's still unskillful action. So it's very important that karma that you pick up always should be skillful karma. So we don't know. Now there is confusion, there is distress, there is a recognition of something's wrong here. Skillful karma is what's needed now. Not who was I, why was I, how was I, what should I be, why I'm always like this. That is not skillful. It doesn't get to the point. It doesn't do anything useful. It takes you away from the point. The point is what's needed now in this experience. Hmm? You need to ground, steady, simplify the thought process as you're whirling around, calm the emotional process through goodwill <coughs> and steady, simple walking, breathing, sitting, bringing to mind topics that cause skillful states to arise. Deliberately bringing to mind topics that cause skillful states to arise, such as I refrain from drinking, swearing, at least today I am. You know, I'm afraid from killing, harming at least other people. I harm myself all the time, but you know. So you just bring skillful, skillful states to mind to give a firm basis for training. You're dealing with something that is so slippery and so evocative. Even the Buddha couldn't find a word to describe it. It's just so fast. And for this, you cannot mess around with fuzzy intentions, with stupid intentions, with foggy intentions, because you will imprint those intentions and you'll strengthen them. Therefore, the intention always has to be attitude towards, has to be skillful. Now, skillful could be. Yeah, I may have made mistakes 
I must be clear. I must protect myself. I recognize I'm someone who is able to uh, make confused decisions. I'm someone who is, you know, my mind is not released. I'm subject to delusion. I must be very careful. That's not bad. You know, it's not, it's not, it's just saying, wake up. You know, that's good intention. And, uh, what kind of, you might even say, what kind of things does my mind easily get dragged in by, obsessed by? That might be skillful. I am obsessed, I am, you know, get drawn into the lure of success or power or wealth or ease or comfort. I must be vigilant. Yeah, this is skillful. Because then you're actually looking and acknowledging uh, um, you know, a positive response that you can learn, you can train yourself with. Otherwise this thing's going to go running out into the world of delusion and generating self and stories about who you are and what you're not. Perhaps another intention may be what now brings... uh, warmth or compassion to the mind. Now recognizing, you know, as we might do, it's never entirely certain uh, whether what you're experiencing because of your actions or because of actions that were done to you. Some, Some feelings, some patterns, some processes are not, are because of that which you which was done to you, and this is one of the cruelest things when you know people who have uh, you know been abused or had difficult times, had other people haven't treated them very well, then feel it's their fault. It's not a logical process at all, but jitta is rarely logical. Yeah. So we we you know, experiencing the uh, displeasure or the rejection of others. Very often, what a person can find themselves, I am innately unlovable. There's something wrong with me. Not there's something wrong with other people who didn't treat me well, but there's something wrong with me. And I've heard this and noticed this so many times. Yeah, in people. Who, who, you know, often give accounts of uh, life that we're, they were, you know, they were not treated with clarity and kindness and compassion. They actually, were definitely abused, and yet the result is that something wrong with me. I am. Uh, I don't deserve. I'm pathetic. I don't deserve warmth, I am pathetic, I am lesser. Because somebody else said you were. (laughs) Or or that was the inference, and we take it on. So this is the power of jitta. And the ignorant jitta has power too. It means that whatever is patterned in, through actions, yourself or other, becomes apparently yourself. 
and therefore it's your fault because it's yourself but yourself is not created by you yourself is created through the causes and conditions that your citta experiences some of them may be your intentions some of them may be the intentions of others they may be purely accidental but the ignorant citta is all of this is what I am I am this and it's my fault there's something wrong with me I should try to be other than I am I need to work hard to be other than I am if only I was other than I am then I would be yeah if I could somehow get rid of what I am so I could be something else then it would be okay (laughs) if I could cut bits of what I am off together then I'd be okay no, it doesn't work like that who is this I am? now, yeah that's the inheritance we call that the acquisition the upadi the substrate these words are not easy some of it's through one's actions, some through the actions of others. But at this point, you know, it not doesn't it's not important. It's like it's no point rehashing. We can't go back. We can't re dress the past. You've got to start now. Yeah. So whatever I am whoever made it that way that has to be held carefully and addressed and redressed and penetrated to this is not what I am this is a mood this is a feeling this is an impression this is a mental activity this is an emotional impulse this is a strategy, this is a reaction of fear or worry or sadness or depression or impulsiveness or neediness, it's like that. These are what are called the aggregates. It's like this. And these are very fast and very uh, printed. They are the circuits down which one's energy rushes they are the learnt channels one's perceptions of I am one's impressions this is what I am what I, my immediate reactions you know, the workaholic the one who needs to do something everyone else the one who's got something wrong with them therefore must try to do something to make something right whatever it is you know? Yeah. The self-criticism, immediate, uh, and so on and so on and so on. These sankharas or activations or activities or mental formations or karmic tendencies, words that we use for that, it's the I am stuff running 
on the run. So, because this is so volatile and uh, so rapid, then it can only be handled. You can't handle it with a thought, but you can handle it by using the body. Because the body has no opinion in itself. It breathes. Good people breathe, bad people breathe. Some evil people probably breathe very well. (laughs) (laughs) They walk, they have earth, air, fire, water, same as everybody else. Uh, They even have a better deal. Uh, So it's just like that. It, it's out of the current of those mental activities and yet it is also responsive to them because this is where those qualities are imprinted you have those and you can feel it rushing through your skin you can feel it rushing through your stomach you can feel it pumping in your heart you can feel it clustering around your throat um, and yet beneath all that the, pre- the body as primary presence, as primary location, we can descend beneath all that. And call it descent. Because it's the unaroused, unactivated state. It's the present state. The unactivated. It's not aroused, rushing. It's steady. It's like an energy that stabilizes. And you can feel this in your embodiment. It's there. It doesn't grab the headlines. You don't notice it. We notice all the active rushing stuff, the same car. Yet there's this. You breathe and you breathe out, you let go into that. You wait for the breath to begin. It comes rising up. So it's very important to establish that primary quality, that primary sign, call it presence and uh, groundedness. And then increasingly, the more you feel steady and comfortable with that, can it also be something that has a you experience that the air element, the mobile, the moving quality, so that that sense of stability is now there in even in the simplicity, simple rhythm of breathing. It doesn't rush out. It's steady and stable. It's got a calming effect. So the activations, the activities which tend to rush and speed and contract and pump, if you can breathe or feel your body, your presence within that, they begin to disengage. And you find behind all that stuff of your personhood, 
as something else, the elephant. Mm. Nice, simple, strong, steady creature. And you've begun to bring it forth from this wild creature, rushing around, doing all kinds of harm. You bring forth the, the primary grounded jitta, and it deals with all this uh, I am stuff. So this is the way we can clear the acquisitions. So a couple of practical notes when you find yourself getting swapped or strung out or overwhelmed or with something difficult what will tend to occur is that the mind is attracted to that and there's a tendency to get slightly obsessed with either that or you try to flick it off and this is right like the person with a with a you know um, something gluey stuck to their fingers first they try and flick it off the thing which is stuck on their hand, they flip, it won't go away, so they get involved with it, they start to get upset about it, and they get their other hand, and the other hand gets stuck too. <laughs> Dang it, I can't do this. And they get their nose stuck on it. Because <laughs> they keep getting involved with that thing. <laughs> and localized, that localization onto a particular topic, you know, or a particular place in your body. And the skillful thing, well, my suggestion, try it yourself is to notice that stuck piece and just keep okay it's there and then what's else what's around that or what's the whole body impression they're trying to get a sense of reference to to as wide an embodied state as possible so they'll both be the afflicted piece and also the unafflicted piece if there isn't the unafflicted then how you can deal with the afflicted. The unafflicted, the wholeness, steadiness, the groundedness must be made available to discharge the stuck piece. Give it wrong. So this is very much going perhaps against the grain of one's tendency, which is to jump in immediately and start to try and get rid of something. Now, I'm not saying that one doesn't want to get rid of it, but that doesn't do it. What does it is if you open wider, then it drops out. Hmm. Opening, but then opening when you have that sense of stable ground. Okay, there's that. Can I feel that? Can I get back to that? Can I even put that topic aside for a moment till I get back to that stable place? Can I make an effort to stay off that difficult topic until I have the resources? Yeah. Can I walk up and down and sit? Can I determinedly make the effort to establish this skillful basis 
And then, then you have something that can then discharge the unskillful or the afflicted states as they are. Mm. Whenever, so that's one piece to widen your awareness to include the whole body, the whole breath, the whole space, so you don't get mesmerized by the difficulty, nor do you um, um, bury it, or you just hold it within the larger frame of reference. Take your time. Yeah. Practitioners, one who, like a skillful uh, strategist, knows the timing. No, it's not the time. Yeah. Afflicted states will often create have their own time. That is, they'll rush. They they will agitate. Mm-hmm. And you want to say, no, I'm not operating in your time. I'm operating on my time. Which isn't about hurry up, hurry up, and sort of say, there's something wrong with you, don't be this way. No, no, no. no. That's, your, that's the time of affliction. The time of non affliction is pretty timeless. <laughs> it's just mm, pause. Don't move into time, move into place. Get into time, you're starting to spin. Get into place. How is this now? How is this now? And you kind of almost repeat that like a mantra. Now. How is it now? How is it now? Now. Because it'll always be saying that. I can't not know. Always be rushing and spluttering, and you want to maintain that simple now, here, now, here. It's like you're training a wild creature to to come to heal, where it begins eventually to lie down and you know, come out of it that that state. So keep your time. Your time should be your place. And make your basis wide. Watch out for the I ams. That's where that's where the problems are. (laughs) You won't find a really helpful I am. They're always going to cause you a problem. So let's take a break for a little while and uh, just stretch your legs, freshen up, and then we can conclude the evening together. Amen. Uh-huh.